Hello, and welcome to Trek Companion. Steve, what episode is this? 69, dude. <laughs> I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing Next Gen's third season episodes, The Enemy, The Price, and The Vengeance Factor. Here we go. The Enemy, Season 3, Episode 7, Production Number 155, Original Air Date, November 6, 1989, Directed by David Carson, Written by David Kemper and Michael Piller, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast Include John Snyder as Bokra, Andreas Katsoulis as Tomalak, Kalmini as Miles O'Brien, and Stephen Rankin as Patak. While investigating a distress signal on the Federation planet Galdoran Core, Riker, Worf, and LaForge discover the wreckage of a crashed Romulan vessel and a dying Romulan officer. Due to the fierce electrical storms on the surface, beaming up and down to Galdoran is restricted by brief windows or breaks in the storm which occur sporadically throughout the day. Bopper, you're in bad shape, and my vision's getting worse. Now, there's a beacon out there that'll get us back to my ship, but not if I can't find it. I cannot surrender to the Federation. Then stay here and die. Adam, kick us off on The Enemy. The Enemy. It took me a second to remember which episode this was, and I was like, oh, yeah. This is a, we got some Geordie vision going. Well, I forgot. Well, we, there's so many episodes that open with, like, planet hell beaming <laughs> in, you know. It, it has become kind of a generic Star Trek opening, so this is a, one of those hard ones to to play the Steve and Brian game, where you quickly guess which one is this. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, so but quickly it becomes the episode it becomes. So I'm sorry, what were you saying? And you know, we, we got just a little bit of some more Jordy vision. That was nice. Um, but it, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed this episode. It's um, it's got a little faulty stuff here and there, but um, it's got a good <clears throat> A and B story that interact with each other. Got a little more moral dilemma with Worf going on, so it's got a little bit of everything. Got Romulans, which is always fun, and um, yeah, enjoyed it. I I was surprised how much I I mean I remembered liking <coughs> this one, but I thought it was good. I mean I really I think this is a very good episode. You know the other two we're going to talk about today, um, you know they're okay, but I think this one is very good. Um, I'm kind of sad actually because if, if I think this episode nails that we, we were talking last time uh, was a. Uh, booby trap. Almost called it booty trap. I guess mm. a different episode. Um, <laughs> with uh, uh, Leah Brahms' hologram, which, you know, ostensibly a Geordie episode, and how disappointed I was in that, and that it, how it's the perfect example as to why we don't get a lot of Geordie episodes, because it's not very unique to Geordie. Um, it's hard to really say this is unique to Geordie, but this is a half Geordie episode. Every time, obviously, when they're on the surface, it's a Geordie episode. And I think this is what you do with Geordie that's good because if there isn't a lot of, um, you know, if Geordie doesn't have like that character flaw or, you know, that core wound thing that he's got to be working on, you know, yes, that that's lacking. But what's great about Geordie, what we love about Geordie is kind of his you know the way he is like he's he's so optimist he's such an optimist he's got such a good heart he's he's kind of funny you know and in booty trap <laughs> um it 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 focuses on him in the very way that is that I don't like that's that's a Jordy episode which maybe is the majority of the Jordy episodes but that's the kind of Jordy episode that I could live without this is what you do with Jordy 
since we don't have anything else, since we don't have like the court win thing. Anyway, you know, like what happens when he first sees, you know, this Romulan pointing the gun at him, like the, his, sorry, his weapon, his phaser. Hmm. You know, he is, he's immediately says, I don't know, he's, he's still kind of, he's like almost like kind and humorous. And then the rocks fall and he, and he tries to save him and he, he doesn't take the gun away. He just takes him inside, you know, and, and then when the Romulan Baca, I can't remember his name. Bokra? Mm-hmm. Bokra. I almost called him Baccarat. <laughs> uh, Bokra says some, you know, points the weapon at him again. He's like, oh, come on, really? All right. And he just sits down. I don't know. These are just the, these. Jordy's reacting in a way that is different from how the other characters would react. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very trusting. That, yeah, but he's, but he's, it's that good heart of his, you know, and I don't know that that would have could sustain an entire episode if it was just, if this was just that story, but it felt good to see him that way and be reminded of, hey, that's the Geordi that I like. And this is what you do with Geordi and make a good Geordi episode. And, and I like this episode. I thought it was good. I almost wish, you know, it's just luck of the draw of the way we're carving up the season into three episode chunks. I think it would have been nice to see this, to discuss this back to back with uh, Booby Trap because I think it, you know, um, we wouldn't have ended on a downer of Geordi like that. But anyway, um, Steve, what are your thoughts here yeah i i like this episode i like this episode better now than i remember in the past you know i think I. yeah that's what i was trying to get at too same here yeah i think it's i think it's just we're we're watching so much trek and we're analyzing it in this fashion that i i can appreciate it on that level a little more and we're obviously not quite to the point of discussing what it's about but i think it's it's kind of complex you know i mean it's one of those that while you can't easily just say it's about blank sentence you know i had a little i had a little trouble kind of putting it all together but i think it's it's complex in a good way it's not so much like they're trying to take on too much but that they're they're trying to cover a, a complicated issue well i you know obviously half the episodes on the surface the jordy stuff just good stuff good stuff and then the other half i i love the little the whole you know hey uh listeners of our show that have been listening to us since the ds9 discussions know I happen to particularly like uh, Garrick, um, uh, Cardassian, that is all about subtext or can have entire conversations where, <laughs> you know, nothing he says is what he means or the truth. Mm-hmm. I love those kind of, of almost tongue-in-cheek um, political maneuvering things. You know, it, it's like... I know I'm lying. You know I'm lying. I know you're lying. <laughs> you know, I like it when they take it that far. Um, here we get about half of that with uh, Tomalak, first appearance of Tomalak. Um, and I, I love that whole, in the exchanges between Picard and Tomalak because he's, Picard's, Picard's that um, subtexty um, political maneuvering conversation when he needs to be. But when he needs to be, he is leader. Matter of fact, here's the, here's the way it is. I love whenever um, Tomalak is, is, is shows up and asks about his crewman that's was in sick bay, and and knowing full well the ramifications, Picard just says he's dead. The way he delivers it, it's it's so perfect, you know. Um, so I yeah, really he was a, enjoy. He, yeah, he was very deliberate when he said he he wouldn't let the Romulans come across the the border. Yes. He was very deliberate. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, I guess I guess he would have to do that, but you don't get to quite see a, a deliberate Picard. It's a whole lot like in that in that way. 
I was kind of thinking about like what would it be if the roles were reversed, but I guess I'm Picard wouldn't have lied so blatantly to Tom Holland. Well, if he did, it, he would have had a much bigger smile on his face, and it would have been yes. More believable. This isn't, what I'm saying isn't true. You know that. Great. This is what we have to say. You know, because um, we've seen that, and we know we'll see more of that. Um, and I I do love that stuff. Um, I'm going to tell a quick. I want to tell a quick personal story. I haven't told one in a while. Uh, uh, what's the actor that plays Tom Locke? Andreas Katsoulis? Steve? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Andreas Katsoulis. Okay. Uh, famous, of course, for Babylon 5, and he was the one-armed man in the Fugitive feature. But he plays Tom Locke in several episodes of Next Gen. Um, when I first moved to L.A. in 2002, <laughs> I love this, I moved in fall of 2002, um, and I moved into a little, a little bitty crappy apartment complex in Sherman Oaks because I was fresh out of college and I didn't have any money and I was working at a video store. And, uh, you know, in like apartment complexes, you, you'll have like these communal, um, laundries places, you know? Um, and I went down and like the first time I went down to the laundry and I'm doing my laundry and I'm standing at the laundry machine, there's a whole row of them. And I kind of look over and I see Tomalock standing, <laughs> standing in front of a dryer, just staring at, just waiting on a dryer. <laughs> and I said, "Oh my God, you played Tomalock on uh, Star Trek!" And he was very nice and he was very cool, but he was, he was, he was more like he was like, "Yeah, but I, I play. I did five years on Babylon Five or something like that, you know." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah." I, I only wanted to say, "Yeah, I mean that show sucks, but that's cool." <laughs> I, did, I did not say that. Um, anyway, I will never forget watching Tom Locke do his laundry. And it, was so, it was just so crazy because I, especially because I was in this crappy little um, complex. You know, you wouldn't expect to see um, somebody like that there. Anyway, I'll never ever forget that. He he died just a couple years after that. He was a chain smoker. Every even every time I saw him around the complex or in the laundry and whatever, he was always smoking. And he died of lung cancer just a couple of years after that. I think within a couple of years, he did an episode of Enterprise, and then he died almost right after something like that. Anyway, suffice it to say, I'm not asking a, a six degrees question about him today, or I would not have given you so much information. <laughs> uh, so Tom Locke has to. Uh, Wash his underwear as well. Um, let's talk about the Worf storyline. Even now, watching it, <clears throat> fully remembering the way it happens, I'm still almost the whole time just waiting for, I mean, he's going to change his mind, right? <laughs> Somebody's going to order him to do it, right? It's going to happen, right? I love, love, love that the Romulan dies. I mean, that sounds pretty evil and terrible. I don't mean it that way. I mean that... I love that Worf stays true to himself and that Worf isn't human, you know, because um, no, of course a Klingon wouldn't do that. Even somebody as conflicted of Worf, as Worf, of course, not just are the Romulans the enemy, they killed his parents. Mm-hmm. They, they totally changed his life forever in such a way, you know. And I think that it was an incredibly ballsy choice, a brave choice, um, but I love that they did that. Do you guys remember thinking that? Do you, does it still kind of have that effect on you now? Yeah, I remember. I remember it being surprised that because it's not the Star direction. Trek thing to do. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I remember it being. I remember being surprised. 
Yeah. Yeah. I guess kind of the spread, you know, you, they kind of set it up there um, when Picard and him are in the ready room and, you know, just like, I don't want to order you. And, you know, and he says, I, I, I won't volunteer and you see Picard sit down and it looks like he's about to belt out an order. And then he's like, well, that's, that is all. So I think that was kind of still a little bit of a surprise. It's kind of like, well, why wouldn't you order him to do it? It didn't seem to be a very good decision by Picard. It's kind of like, well, they make you know, it clear just, that they make it clear that he could, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, is that? And then Worf said he would do, he would do it if if ordered. Right. Should there um, be like? Can that can should it be should he be able to make the, to order him to do that? Yeah, it, it is. It is interesting that you know at this time and in that organization, you know, you can order someone to. Uh, donate their um yeah donate some you know part of their themselves and some you know basically go through a medical procedure order them to do that you know that is interesting i mean what i don't even know what the, how it works today at least in the united states certainly you cannot you well, couldn't you, force someone to donate an organ could you force someone to donate blood i don't think so i wouldn't think well, so well i look at it in the in the terms of the circumstances the way <laughs> up, you, know, the, you know the needs of the the, the many outweigh the needs of the few argument we get in Star Trek. And so he lays it out there, you know, and he understands the uh, consequences of the possibility of this Romulan dying in their, in their care. And now, so I was, I was still a little surprised that he just didn't go ahead and order him because if you would do that, if you, if you felt like, you know, it was going to prevent um, some sort of conflict. Or so you think he should? You think yeah, he I thought he should have. Yeah, I thought he should have ordered him. Just in in that situation now, if it was just, if it wasn't if there wasn't a threatening situation looming overhead, then no, it wouldn't have been appropriate to order him to do that. I think it would have been more harmful in a way. I think it'd been more harmful to Picard's character for him to order him to do that than it is harmful to Worf's character that he refused to do it. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. I like the way that just even the way that he refuses. Like you understand, if you don't do this, then he will die. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he will die. And he's like, I beg you, do it. And he's like, I cannot. We did get at least, you know, he, there was a scene. He went to Wacker's quarters. He, he, I don't know if he quite agonized over it, but he was obviously a little conflicted. Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I think he, I think his decision was final when he had that little last little visit with the Romulan. Yeah, it clinched it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like if anything, All right, you don't want it. If anything, you would think that would make him want to do it because, <laughs> yeah. Then he says, "I don't want you in me." Oh well, you know, then you're getting my blood or whatever. Here it yeah. comes. You know, the it's the episode starts off kind of reminding me of um, the '80s movie Enemy Mind, ever so briefly. Um, you know, with the two of them trapped on the planet. I guess I, I've said that before when there had been two people trapped on a planet like I that. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, but then it, but it, it's, it doesn't stay there at all. It quickly goes into a completely different, cool direction. Um, and I really do like this stuff on the planet. There's just enough of it, the right amount. Geordi's cool, you know. Um, even the tech stuff in this one's kind of cool, you know, with the neutrino beam and. Um, it's good. Also, something I don't normally comment on because it's just good and we take it for granted, but like the sound work on the surface sounded great. It sounded really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe part of that was, you know, the new Blu-ray mixing, which, of course, as usual, goes without saying. I, I'm still so blown away with the image every single time. It has, I, I, every time I mention it, I'm like, I'm only reminding our audience because 
it doesn't seem to go be going away. And I'm saying it again every single time, even though I don't bring it up every single time. Every single time, I'm just ugh, floored by the quality <laughs> of the, the image. It's crazy. Um, <clears throat> so, anyway, um, what's this episode about? What kind is of there a- anything that we can connect thematically between the A and the B story? You know, and and this is hard to. I think it's hard for me to verbalize exactly. I was trying to ponder how to say it, but yeah, I think there is a there is a connection. It's almost like um, two sides of the same coin. I mean, it's yeah. the notion of you have, you ha- you have, you have enemies. You have those you don't you don't like. You have a history with whatever, and you have a choice. You know, now is it always the right choice to bury the hatchet and find ways to cooperate and make a new beginning? I don't know, but it's not always feasible or it's not going to happen in every situation. I think, I think to me, it's in general, it's about, this is about um, tension between those you, who you feel are, are your enemies, like the title of the episode and the com- the complexities of those relationships, how, you know, you can't. You're not always going to find common ground. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. I think it's it's just a complex situation. Sometimes it's those those very kind of preconceptions that become the enemy. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of what mm-hmm. I was thinking about there too. Is you know, um, Worf is unable to get over that. Um, Jordy has no problem uh, getting over that. I like that we have that scene between Jordy and uh, Buka. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Buka, Bokra, I think. Bokra, Bokra. Bokra, sorry, Bokra. I like that we have that scene between Jordy and Bokra, where where Bokra says something like, um, "Wouldn't you die for your convictions or whatever?" And Jordy says, "Yeah, but it'd have to be a damn good <laughs> yeah, you know." And and I don't think this situation is that. Do you? You know, um, I like that we have that. And then you know, and 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 Worf is presented with that same choice, um, <clears throat> and he makes the choice. Is true to his character, Caesar. What do you think it's about? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's we're going to be talking more about this in a later episode about kind of how feuds manifest. You know, obviously, Worf. Um, there, I agree with Steve. They're two two sides of the same coin. You know, we see what happens when um, when two two foes can't let go of their hatred for one another, and then we get the get the other side of the coin with Jordy and and. Bokra, where they're able to work together and put aside their differences. So, yeah, it's an interesting um, double-take look at it, you know, how things could be and how things kind of are, are, that kind of stuff. So I, I, I really like this episode. This is a good episode. Um, this is, you know, this is on that tier, the second highest tier for season three. You know, to me, this is, this is just underneath, you know, the best of both worlds, yesterday's Enterprise, that level. Um, so this is very good. I like this a lot. I would definitely watch this if I was just watching my favorites from season three. In my opinion. All right. Uh, moving on to six degrees for the enemy. Um, Steve, you going first or second? I'll go first. John Snyder plays Bokra, the Romulan that takes the. Why all those times am I like? Who played that? When I got my six degrees questions right in front of me, it says Bokra. <laughs> anyway, John Snyder plays Bokra, the Romulan who takes a stroll with Jordy down the planet. In Next Gen's fifth season, he played Aaron Connor in the episode The Masterpiece Society. 
In this episode, Connor is the leader of a xenophobic group of genetically enhanced humans that is forced to enlist the Enterprise's help to protect them from what? Hmm. Gosh, this sort of is familiar. Um, I'll accept. I'll accept a relatively generic answer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm blanking. I don't know. Adam. Um, to protect them from Klingons. No, uh, I would have accepted something like an asteroid, but it's a stellar core fragment of a neutron star passing through the system. Mm. I know that was a tough one. That was a tough one. Uh, Adam. <clears throat> Steve Rankin plays Patak, the Romulan that dies on a bed in sick bay because Worf realizes that he is Romulan. In Enterprise's fourth season, he played a genocidal colonel in a video clip. This colonel would greatly influence Paxton's xenophobia and further the Demons and Terra Prime storyline. This colonel originally appeared, played by a different actor, in an episode of original series' third season, The Savage Curtain. Name the colonel, the character. The character and the it's original really, series. It's yeah, it's Colonel, and then his his last name is sufficient. Uh, I, I know this. Is, I'm giving you Colonel guys hard Clink. ones at least for this one. Colonel Clink. <laughs> <laughs> Colonel Clink. Uh, no, Steve. Uh, I'm racking my brain. I'll, I'll know when I hear it. Mostly because of the original series, not because of Enterprise. But uh, I'm not sure. Okay, uh, not for any points, but it's a color. Oh, green. Yeah. Yep. Colonel Green, that's correct. Uh, Moving on. The Price, Season 3, Episode 8, Production Number 156. Original air date, November 13th, 1989. Directed by Robert Shearer. Written by Hannah Louise Shearer. Music composed by Ron Jones. Guest cast include Matt McCoy as Devanani Rall. Elizabeth Hoffman as Bavani. Castulo Guerra as Seth Mendoza. Scott Thompson as Goss. Dan Shore as Arido. Kevin Peter Hall as Leor. Calmini as Miles O'Brien. And Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. The crew plays host to a group of visiting dignitaries who are negotiating for the rights to a stable wormhole discovered by the Barzan, which could provide a valuable shortcut through the galaxy. Troy reluctantly attends a reception for the representatives. There she immediately is drawn to a delegate named Devanian Ra. The two share an instant attraction which soon leads them into a passionate affair. Pardon me, Captain. I, I believe there's a slight conflict of interest here. I agree. Entirely. Mr. Raal asked me not to tell anyone he has empathic powers, which he uses to manipulate his competitors in a negotiation. And yes, it did put me in a conflict of interest, which I hope I have now resolved. Steve, kick us off for the price. You know, <laughs> the, the, uh, this side, this side, this guy, um, that's for me. The guy from Police Academy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember it was it was two or three Academy too. movies. He was the lead. You know, I, obviously, I'm not going to say this, but there are certain there are certain slang terms like like jerk, like for example, like a synonym of that, but worse. That for some reason, when I when I see this and I remember, and he starts behaving, it's like, oh, this, and and this is perfect. It's like if you were to look up that slang term in a slang dictionary, it's this guy. That, and I don't know what it is. I think it's because he's he's uh, he's egotistical. He's uh, tiresome. He doesn't blink. 
that gets tedious. I don't know. All these things just rub me the wrong way about this Devonani Rawl. And I, I guess, still on a serious note, he uh, he makes it makes Troy look bad that I think she falls for him. Yeah, like he's almost comes off as a tiny bit. I almost want to use the word sleazy, but that's not yeah. that's too strong, uh-huh. you know. And that she's so immediately attracted to him, it's like I don't know. It's it's yeah. the chick attracted to the bad guy, you know, the tra- attracted to the bad boy, I should say, you know. But he's not that. I mean, he's not like he's not like that Han Solo type character we had was it last season um, that was still kind of cool, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, I don't know, it's almost like he's uh, violating the show or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No pun intended, right? Yeah. Uh, Caesar, what, what, you know? Um, visually, I like this episode. There's a lot of cool stuff to see. We get to see our first wormhole, so kind of this is the precursor to what we'll <laughs> see for seven seasons in DS9. Um, I actually like the Ferengi stuff, you know, and... You know, I like the technical side of it, a lot of the negotiating tables and things like that. Obviously, there's some other visual stuff that's pleasing to the eye in this episode. Um, we can get into that later if you like. Um, I didn't mind it that much. I mean, this, the love story, you know, I think they kind of set up. You, you, Troy's kind of, they kind of set her up, you know. But she's obviously not in a, a good situation. You know, she's, she's in a bad mood and she's kind of looking for an escape. And, um... This is what it is, and the episode really doesn't have that happy of an ending. You know, he kind of still, you know, you kind of hope that the character kind of grew somewhat, but then Troy kind of stands up for himself, and then you realize, you know, this, the way he leaves, he, he is a jerk. So um, this isn't one of these, like, you know, every character learns from their situation and grows from it. It's kind of more, to me, it was kind of more lifelike, you know. I'm sure it's probably a lot like a lot of different um um, short-term relationships that happen out in the world. So it, it didn't bother me as much as maybe it bothered you too. Well, the thing that made this episode a bigger deal when it came out, and, you know, it's nothing today, but it's still, they, they talk pretty openly about sex. You know, it's very clear they're having sex. There's, it's very clear that um, the before, the after. Um, uh, Troy and Crusher have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Am I mistaken, or does does Crusher actually say something about female orgasm? I believe that's the thing. That's the yeah. That's the um, there. Yes, a little subtle, uh, which is pretty crazy for a Star Trek episode for us to hear a Star Trek episode talk about that. Not mm-hmm. honestly, it, for the '80s, yes, by today's standards, it's nothing, but it still feels crazy to see it, to hear it in a Star Trek episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know. I, don't, I disagree. I mean, come on. There's you look at the original series. Would this would we be having this discussion if it was um, Riker talking to Worf about sex? I mean, um, if he uh, talked I, about that part. I mean, if he. I don't, I don't know. If I, can say, <laughs> I don't know if I can start G rating on iTunes if I use the word <laughs> orgasm. If Riker was talking about an orgasm, yeah, I think that would be like, whoa. What? You know? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's really that big. I'm just imagining the conversation. Everybody on iTunes. Yeah. <laughs> everybody, everybody. Um, any, um, but I just, it's right. the specifics. Yeah, because in the original series, there was a lot. Obviously, Kirk had sex in almost every episode. But what did you see? You know, you didn't see anything. You didn't. They didn't talk about it. It was, you know. There was a lot more kissing. 
there's a lot more physical interaction, hugging, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. I, like, I mean, I can. Scott I can, there. Rawl is like massaging her foot with some oils. Mm. It's kind of a, it's maybe it's the composition of the shot. It's like a disembodied foot. Covered <laughs> in, <it's weird. laughs> I don't know. Uh, I hope I'm not sounding like a prude or something. I'm not complaining. You know, I tell. How about here's a positive statement. When Rawl first goes to Troy's quarters, and it's like an over-the-shoulder from Rawl, and she's standing at the door, you see almost her full body. She's wearing like that blue dress, and her hair is down. Mm. That's, I mean, that's got to be tied for the. Uh, she looks so beautiful in that shot. She looks so. Marina looks gorgeous in that shot. That's as beautiful as she ever looked, and it's incredibly beautiful. Make, make I couldn't help it. The toes curl there, right? Do what? Make your toes curl there, right? <laughs> <laughs> What was funny to me is their first encounter when he tries to put her put his hand through her hair and she, it's obviously very you know spread fat down and spread fat. It's not like smooth, you know. It's like you messing up her hair. That's like that part cracks me up. Right? It looks like kind of like grabbing her hair and then here's a big clump now sticking out in a funny way. You know, nothing erotic she, about it. Was she wearing um? Was she wearing a hairpiece at the time, or was that a, her her whole thing? She, she sometimes, I think they, I augmented it sometimes, but mm. it's definitely her hair in there. <clears throat> I mean, the scene, the dinner scenes from between the two of them weren't bad to me. I mean, you know, where well, they're discussed, here's you know, the two, morality of their things. He was clearly abilities. Uh, here, here's the thing, like the first scene between them when they're, it's almost like they're. This is coming off too strong. How can they be that attracted? But later, I think the 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 fact that he's a quarter beta zoid. Betazoid and she's half Betazoid. I think that's a perfect explanation for that. Yeah. And I think that's what saves all of these things. Even when we say, like Steve, you said, oh, she, she looks bad because she, you know, yeah. I, I kind of don't, I don't really feel that way because I think the idea that, that they have this mental connection mm-hmm. um, that is not human at all, it's way deeper than anything two humans could have, even with him only being one quarter. I think the concept that they, that they have that is a completely legitimate uh, explanation for why they are so immediately passionate with one another. Um, and that it saves it that, you know, it, it, she's immediately bewildered and that's what happens in that kind of situation. We've all been there, thankfully. <laughs> uh, but when she has a chance to kind of collect herself, she says at the end, you know, and, not just the very end, whenever she brushes him off when she says, I already have a job as a counselor, but the scene before that, when it really counts, and she tells, you know, uh, she tells Picard, she tells the crew, hey, he's a quarter Betazoid, and that's why he um, was able to win these negotiations, and he's kind of cheating. Anyway, when it counts, she, you know, she said what she needed to say. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't still having this he wasn't still having this hold over her and i think if that hadn't happened if she hadn't have said that then she would have come off looking pretty bad for the episode yeah. mm-hmm. she, um, she she came around and stood up for herself i mean we're, we're riker's gonna have a bad um attraction in the next episode so we kind of get this back to back where they mm-hmm. these two kind of you know another episode what, what was in then the, the last season where she was going to get married that ended up turning out to be kind of a, a good bad thing or good, more of a good thing. You felt more good about that, about the, about the ending of that. I don't remember the name of the episode. You know where she was betrothed to somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily that, and there was an attraction there, even kind of faint. But that ended that they went their separate ways, really well. In this episode, you know, it, it just this guy doesn't learn anything because you know we've established he's a bit of a jerk. But um, I think, I think she grows from it. 
and you know sometimes that happens in relationships you know it just doesn't end well we're going to see that with Riker in the next episode <clears throat> it's funny this one has the guy that I remember from the later Police Academy movies the ones that weren't so good Mm-hmm. And the next one has the girl that I remember from the later Nightmare on Elm Street movies, the ones that weren't so good. <laughs> uh, we are 80s children, aren't we? Yes, um, yes. So I don't, there, there, are enough, there are enough cool things in this. And, you know, the other thing that occurred to me, like when I was watching this, I'm thinking, eh, I don't care for this episode so much. It's fine. It's fine. I don't, I don't dislike it. It's fine. But I, it did occur to me. On the other hand, we're pretty much into what I think of as next gen now, and I could watch this episode if I was flipping channels, and I yeah. wouldn't hesitate. It's it's not, you know, it's that is really great, and I don't want to take that for granted. I want to be aware of that because would this be a good episode in season one or two? It would be incredible in season one or two. <laughs> that's, that's my that's my point is that in all of Star Trek, you know, it's. The first couple seasons of Next Gen are pretty, pretty. A lot of them, not all. Obviously, we have seasons, but those first couple seasons are pretty tough. Um, and anyway, I'm very plus happy. We, plus, we get an episode of Voyager out of this episode. Yeah, absolutely. We'll discuss that, that years down the road. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing that and, and immediately remembering this episode too. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what's this episode about? Being honest with yourself, knowing yourself. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I have trouble with the, you know, um, coming up with something. I, I, one thought I had was the notion of the gray areas of manipulation. When does something become manipulation? When, you know, obviously we don't, we don't live in a society where people can literally read minds or something, but um, there are people more adept at. Um, under reading cues and manipulating people accordingly and so when is it a problem when 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 do you cross a line where you know making someone you know think something is what they want even if they may not without your influence is when is that an unethical situation you know my, my favorite scene in this episode is this is that dinner scene between um Rawl and Troy where they're talking about the their their ethical responsibilities given their abilities, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and his argument is when she says I don't I don't hide my abilities and he says of course you do all the time, well yeah that's obviously true you know whenever if Picard's talking to another commander or something, but yeah the kind of stuff you were just talking about Steve you know that's where it gets you know. Well the difference really between the two of them the difference <coughs> between the two of them if somebody asked Deanna if she you know, somebody said, "Could you?" She wouldn't hide it. She wouldn't necessarily volunteer the, the information, whereas he would completely lie and cover it up. You know, his was completely hidden. So it wasn't like she was intentionally hiding who she was. And that's kind of the difference between them that I saw when that what the, that came out of that conversation. So you say it's not like she has to every time Troy meets somebody new. She doesn't have to. Hi, my name is Troy, and I can half read your mind. No. <laughs> Does Superman have to tell everybody he can see through their clothes every time he meets somebody? No. Only if they're wearing really ugly underwear. Okay. <laughs> so Troy could be like, before you start thinking about, you know, you know the what? bank, the, the bank you robbed this morning. You know, I'm I'm listening to everything that's coming out of your brain. 
That would be disconcerting, wouldn't it? Hmm. I guess if we were really reaching, we could come up with some kind of NSA. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have the ability to listen to everybody's phone calls. So we're just going to do that. Um, And you shouldn't care if you don't have anything to hide. (laughs) Anyway, are we done with this one? I I think so. Okay, moving on. Six degrees for the price. Uh, zero to zero. Um, uh, who wants the episode title question? <laughs> Quick. Steve can have it. <laughs> Steve. All right. Uh, Dan Shore plays the Ferengi Doctor, Arido. He will reprise this role in Voyager in the episode called False Blank. Um, Name the episode. I believe it's uh, Prophets. Right, false prophets. Adam, in which season of Voyager does this episode take place? Can you read the first question again? Uh, so we're asking about the episode False Prophets. It's the one where the two Ferengi that are in this episode of Next Gen are trapped okay. in the Delta Quadrant. Uh, they pop up in false <clears throat> episodes in Voyager. In which season of Voyager does that happen? Um, I'm going to say season four. No, Steve? How about three? You're correct. It was season three. Moving on. The Vengeance Factor, season three, episode nine, production number 157. Original air date, November 20th, 1989. Directed by Timothy Bond, written by Sam Rolfe. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Lisa Wilcox as Yuda, Joey Oresco as Broll, Nancy Parsons as Maruk, Stephen Lee as Chorgun, Mark Lawrence as Volnoth, Elkanah J. Burns as Tamarek, and Machel Barrett as Computer Voice. After finding traces of Archamian blood at the looted Federation outpost, Picard leads the crew to Arkarma 3. The gatherers responsible for the attack on the outpost, a thieving band of renegade Arcanians who split off from their culture a hundred years ago following centuries of battles between rival clans, Picard convinces Arcanian's leader, Malruk, to reignite the talks with the gathers into to bring them into her now peaceful society, and he offers the services of Enterprise to add to that quest. Every time we've offered amnesty, they've rejected it. When was the last attempt made? Eighteen years ago. Eighteen years? For almost a century now. They've been parasites, moving from star system to star system, living on what they could find or steal. They're still your people. No. All right, the vengeance factor. There's a lot to like in this episode. I think that it um, it has a kind of a good pace and a good, a good structure, like an interesting kind of structure. Um, I think that the you know there's some some complaints I can have, but there's a lot of cool stuff. I'd say one thing right off the bat, man, I love that set near the end, the 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 last set where the where the the what's his name Shogun I think and the Sovereign and Picard are sitting at the table, mm-hmm. the one where the climax takes place that Riker uh, kills mm-hmm. Utah. Is it Utah or Utah? I think Utah. it's Utah. I thought it was Utah. the water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That that set is beautiful. Um, with all those like red pillars back behind the table and everything. It's, it's, 
usually that's kind of thing is kind of a throwaway. I don't even notice it, but that, that was cool, really cool, really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, the gatherers, they're almost, they're a little bit, um, I don't know, eighties, hmm. I guess the, the, the outfits, you know, they kind of, they kind of reminded me of, uh, the early DS nine episode, uh, the one where the Kai dies. Yeah. In the Delta <laughs> yeah. Quadrant. Those guys kind of remind me of those guys. Um, it's like an eighties metal band really. I mean, it's like, yeah, that's it, yeah. scorpions or quiet riot or something, you know, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, the gatherers. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, that's a, that's kind of a minor thing, and I I do I like it a lot. Oh, and then that the uh, boy, uh, God, these episodes today are just full of of eighties movie people. The sovereign, that's the uh, that's the coach, the chick from uh, the Porky's movies. Uh, Remember that? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway. She kind of uh, reminded you, me of Kai Wen a little bit the way they had her make. Yeah, that well, there's that that whole kind of a matriarch, but a little bit of a jerk, just a little bit, you know. Right. Um, but she's, I mean, she's obviously a good leader. You know, she might react a certain way, but you know, her brain kind of takes over, and then she does. She does seem to do the right thing and the good. It, it, that part's a little bit weird if you think about it. It's kind of like. If she's the leader of these, she's not like the. Is she like the top leader? Because if she's their leader, she's been the leader all these years. It's been a hundred years. Picard shows up and in two sentences convinces her to undertake this massive, <laughs> yeah, I know, uh, reunification of her people. That that part's a little bit um, janky, but anyway. Um, so I'm talking a lot here. Uh, what do you guys think? I enjoyed that. I I really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was. Um, I thought it was cleverly written. I mean, you know, you didn't get a main plot point until almost midway through the episode, and it and it really worked. You know, the um, the whole you know revenge thing. You know, what what is the character's name? The the girl. Utah. Mm-hmm. Utah. You know that whole plot line. You know, I kind of liked how that came in, kind of towards you know, kind of somewhere in the middle. I think it was kind of middle half of the of the episode, and then. You have that little chemistry between her and Riker. Riker's obviously, you know, attracted to her. They have their little dates and that kind of thing. And obviously it doesn't end well for Riker. And then the episode ends, you know, kind of on a down note. You know, mm-hmm. Riker had to, you know. Riser. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> um, um, but, yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, good pacing, good writing, um, good acting. I mean, it was a good episode. I think, you know... Um, See, it's funny because you guys both uh, thought the pace was good, and I kind of thought it it kind of dragged in spots. And I, and in retrospect, I think part of what that is is that there seems for me there tended to be a, a lot of time not focused on our people. You know, there were just there were a lot of the, the the bulk of it is not focused on our people. And for me, I what I did like, I liked the Riker Yuta stuff, and obviously what he had to do at the end, and his conflicts, and what he thinks someone, how someone should live, and how she lives. I just wish there was more of that kind of thing in this versus all the like sitting around a table and yelling at each other and stuff like that. You know, I. What gives it a good pace for for me is that it's so um, we're never in the same spot for more than five minutes. True, you know, it it completely changes. So constantly, it reminded me a little bit. Obviously, it's it's still you know a late '80s show here, but if it was 
same exact thing, even then each section maybe cut in half. It kind of reminded me of a little bit more modern show in the way that a more modern show would kind of do that, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, with especially younger people today and that, you know, everything has to change in whatever it is, five five or ten minutes or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I think that's why it, it felt like it had a good, structurally, it was it seemed sound to me. And then... And then we also, you know, and like for example, having that little murder mystery. That it's a very small one, but it's enough to kind of keep, kind of keep that going. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like those moments where it's uh, who is it? Data, Riker, Crusher, back in the science station on the bridge, and they kind of figure everything out in that scene. And you know, and everything kind of. It's kind of neat. It kind of wraps all up. It, neat. Yeah, it's kind of, but it's it's um, it's it's like satisfactory. It doesn't feel like a cheat. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's nothing in it. Like even when you look back on the scene when. When she says, when Yuta says to Riker, um, what is it, like, I can't feel pleasure or passion, I do not feel pleasure or passion, something like that, you know, we find out why, and it actually makes sense, and that's a fair, it's a good reason for that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know, I'm, I'm like, oh, and even even right down to when she's right after we find it, figure this out uh, on, on the bridge, and then we cut back down to the to the other ship and uh she's going to serve that brandy you know there's some there's some tension there you're like oh my god she's going to serve it you know mm-hmm. and I, I don't know just all those kind of little moments kind of work for me um and you know in an episode where you've got stuff like that versus um the same girl a few scenes earlier uh you know flirting with Riker on 10 forward um i don't know it just everything changes enough the structure it just it kind of keeps moving for me that's just, I guess that's why it doesn't bug me. I see what you're saying, Steve. Mm-hmm. It sounds like we disagree a little bit, but but I definitely, yeah. I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I, I agree too. I mean, it, it does, <clears throat> it jumps quite a bit. I mean, you know, I was thinking, you know, should they have had more Wesley in this episode? But um, after thinking about it, I'm like, well, you know, it was kind of just enough. They kind of, re- he, you know, he had that one scene with the, the secondary leader and, um, but it was kind of resolved there, you know. And mm-hmm. that little five-minute scene they had between the two of them, so I, I kind of felt like I guess they could have done more with that, but there wasn't really necessary to keep going with that storyline either. It is kind of freaky to see. I mean, we don't see people get vaporized like that very often. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Must be some oh, yeah. kind of a rearranging of her cellular structure to require vaporization as the only, or whatever the word is, <laughs> to yeah. stop her. You know. Yeah. Well, when he's, he keeps turning up the phaser. It, when he gets to the setting that vaporizes her, it's just all like green bars. Like I'm thinking, shouldn't there be a red one? In? <laughs> Maybe it should just be flashing. You are not vaporization. Vaporization. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could he go in over there and just punch her? Or which does she have like? That was the, it's, it's, it's staged a little weird. Where I think on paper it worked, but maybe that's just the way it was staged. It feels like well, why couldn't? I mean, she didn't have any weapon. Her the only lethal weapon she had. It was only lethal to. Shogun or whatever his name is, mm-hmm. they had just he'd gotten up and ran away. Everybody else could have bum rushed her, and they wouldn't have had to kill her, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, you know, I think I think that if they just staged it a little bit differently, I wouldn't have been thinking that. Yeah, because um, he's basically standing right in front of her. I'm like, mm. it was. A, I I think yeah, I kind of I didn't think of it that way, Brian. It probably looked better on paper than it kind of translated yeah. out on film. Well, you know? no, it's just the way that they put it together. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, but you know, again, it's, it's kind of a minor thing. I thought it was a little bit weird that like. Picard's watching her get vaporized and doesn't react at all. And I, I looked that one up, and it's because it had to be a locked-off effect shot. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and the director kind of later 
regretted it. Um, he said, I should have, I, I, I should have just not had Picard in the shot because it looks funny that he doesn't react to her vaporization. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a quick shot. It's a minor kind of thing. Mm. Um, well, I, I mentioned in the last one, what my favorite scene was, uh, Caesar, what's your favorite scene in this episode? Do you have one? Um, you like? Was there any scene that kind of stood out for you? Um, scene that kind of stood out. Um, the scene in ten four between her and Riker is a good scene. Um, I, I like the scene between Wesley and the secondary leader. There's, a, I don't know, it's not like one that particularly stands out. They're kind of all, to me, kind of solid on their own. They kind of mesh well together. Which one did yeah, you like? I, I agree. There's probably nothing that really stands out, but I do like that scene that I mentioned a minute ago in, um, when she comes to Riker in his quarters and says, you know, I, I don't feel pleasure or passion. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that there's there's a... Well, there's, there's a, a conflict real, in her. Yeah, but there's like a real clear emotional dy- dynamic drive to the scene. You know, like they're, they're, they're physically together and they're about to... They're, they're kissing or whatever, and then they pull apart and then she goes a little farther away. I don't know. There's, there's kind of a real nice structure to that, to that scene, yet they're only a foot or two away the whole time. I don't know. It was a nice scene. It was well-performed and I, and I really believed them. And then of course that scene is the kind of thing, probably the main reason that we, the audience feel for Riker when he has to vaporize her. And then of course feel for him in that last scene when he's sitting in 10 forward. Steve, anything stand out for you? Yeah, I would have chosen that scene as well with them in there, and that's and that's um, that you spoke of, and that's also why I said earlier what I said. I think that for me, it would have been. I mean, I like the episode fine. I'm not knocking it that hard, you know, or whatever. But I I think it would have been more effective had we had just a little less talky stuff somewhere in the in the debates and things, and and maybe one more some kind of scene between the two of them in some fashion, you know, just to mm-hmm. reinforce reinforce the reinforce that he has feelings for her, but more specifically reinforce that the the difference between their their attitudes and how it's very difficult to understand all he has feelings for somebody, but he has feelings for someone and he's and he's got he's very he's independent. He believes in, you know, people as equals and having that kind of relationship and she's got to this point where she's become so jaded and so programmed and and she's a very twisted view from, from our perspective of these kinds of things yeah i kind of agree with they could they probably could have cut a little bit out of the negotiating table at the end i mean i think twice picard has to calm the yeah the future kai down and then <laughs> so uh, they could have just done that once. They could have cut off, shaved off some a few things here or there, and that you probably could have right. They could add a little bit more, a little bit more about that. Could have developed that relationship a little bit more. <laughs> we were talking about in the last episode. You know that that relationship kind of was, was like a developed really fast and ended really quick. But you kind of got to see an arc of a relationship where in this one, um, you, it's more of the formation of one that never materialized. Mm, right. Well, but but narratively that's good because it can't because she can't commit to she can't do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Emotionally, right? One one interesting thing I thought about this episode to me is this is an example where like they they could have had this exact same script in the first or second season and I think it just wouldn't have been any good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but this script in season 3 or later with the characters kind of knowing who they are, the show being produced better and stuff. Um, I think that it it works in a way that it wouldn't have earlier. And I, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's yeah, I think so. 
Mm-hmm. There are a lot of other good episodes like, oh, well, they couldn't even – that script wouldn't even, couldn't even have worked at all. This It could have worked. It just the, But I'm trying to make an optimistic statement, not a pessimistic statement in that see where we've come to, right? Yeah. See, yeah. given this script now, it turns into a good episode. You know, when, when you've got uh, characters, actors who know who these characters are, you know, you've got real definition to them. And they can give they can give someone, a, you know, like, for example, a Riker in that scene with, with – we're talking about with uh, Yuda in his quarters, you know, he can he can give the character some something there that that he needs to make the audience feel something emotionally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, I, was, uh, I also kind of think it stands. There, there's three straight episodes that we're talking about this in this, <coughs> in this episode today, and um, none of them really. They're none of them are a Data episode or a Picard episode. And then, mm-hmm. you know, usually when that happens, there's usually like maybe you know we don't really like one, but all th- I mean. Three of these are like solid episodes. I feel. I mean, you know, there's not one like, oh my god, I love. You know, I would put my top ten, but I enjoyed all three of them. And you know, and we didn't talk about data at all today, so that was yeah. Just- you're right. That is very unusual, especially I mean, three in a row like this. That you're right. That's a very good point. Yeah. Is this episode about anything? Blood feuds. Let them go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do we need to come up with some? Uh, medical cellular surgery so that we don't have to age anymore. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, well, I, mean, yeah, yeah. I, I guess there's, there's a couple. It's kind of multi-layered. You could say this is. I mean, you know, it's about. Um, it's also about acceptance, about um, letting go of the past. You know, that kind of has that theme in there with the the society. You know, they're having to accept. Um, how barbarous they were and then you know come back together as a whole society you know and some people can't do that obviously that we you know we see this in the episode um yeah you know in a weird way it's there's a little bit of parallels with the first episode we spoke of in that fashion because you have this idea of you know yeah two two cultures or two sides uh, you know two factions of the same you know civilization are coming together and maybe you're working towards peace but you still have individuals um that have such the you know s- you know such the, like the blood feud have that history where they they just can't get over it you know and and again the the notion of some you know you, not every not it's not perfect you know we can we can say that we have enemies we can say that we work towards fixing them but there's always going to be certain people that have trouble dealing with that reality i mean she goes she goes through with what she's she tries to go through with what she's doing knowing that Riker Riker doesn't shoot her once not twice but but it takes a third shot you know she, there's no doubt about it she he's she's going to yeah be stopped here yet she does it she goes anyway because that's that's all she knows now. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. All right. Let's do a six degrees for the vengeance factor. Uh, Steve has two. Um, Steve. Yes. Stephen Lee plays Shorgan, the Shorgan, the uh, gatherer that owes Riker a debt after he vaporizes the woman that spiced his drink. In Next Gen's seventh season, he plays the owner of a bar that Riker, Troy, and Crusher search for. Uh, signs of their missing Captain Picard. In this, the first episode of a two-parter that will feature Picard undercover as a mercenary and thief named the episode. Mm. Oh, yes, yes. Hug. Yeah. I always remember the action figure 
of hard from this episode. <laughs> yeah. The episode on it. <laughs> um, dang. Yeah, I know what it is. I just can't get <clears throat> tip my tongue. Can't get it. I'm afraid. Adam. This is like the this is like one of those two parters that was in the middle of the seventh season, right? Yes. Mm. I know it had to do with a Vulcan artifact, so I'll just go with the artifact part one. Gambit. Gambit. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Should have said the the X Men card player. Too. <laughs> uh, right, uh, Adam. Mark Lawrence plays the old gatherer that Utah kills by giving him a heart attack. Um. A lot of ways she probably could have given him a heart attack. Mm. In DS9, she, he played the mob boss, Zemo, in the episode Bada Bing, Bada Bang. What season was that? Uh, season 7? You are correct. It was season 7. I think he was in his 90s, by the way, when oh, he wow. did that episode. You know, I, and I realized as I was writing that question, I think when we did Bada Bing, Bada Bang, I asked about Mark Lawrence in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's going to happen. 2-1. Uh, Steve takes it for the day, but it was close. It was close. All right, well, there was some good discussions there. Man, it really is, it's so great to be getting into the better better and better episodes and seeing them in beautiful HD. I watched two of them on my big screen, that 15-foot screen I have at my post house, because it's just so much fun. They look so good. Man, it looks so incredible. You know, and even especially, like, one thing we never talk about, the color. This guy, they got doing, they're, they're colorist. Man, I'm sure they're paying him a lot of money, and he deserves it because it, the colors are so great. And they got to they got to retime all this stuff because they're coming from negative. Anyway, looks incredible. I love it. Season four coming out uh, next week. Exciting. We'll be getting to it after that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, thanks for listening, folks. Uh, we're going to be back in two weeks to discuss the next three episodes. At least. Uh, one off the top of my head, I think the first one is going to be def- the, the, the Defector. I remember really liking that episode. That'd be mm-hmm. cool. um, follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. Our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Send us an email. That's Trek Companion at gmail.com. Um, so thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time. Good night, guys. See you.